check, 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 check. It's clipping out really bad. Okay, so, um, what were we talking about exactly? Bangkok, oriental setting in the city, don't know what the city is getting. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything. But you'll bring it. Swadi Cop, everybody. Um, that's Thai for hello or greetings or aloha. Or, uh, it's what everyone says. Swadi Cop. So, hey, everyone. This is, <laughs> this is a pre accident podcast. I am your host, Todd Conklin. I promised you this podcast earlier, and then I made you wait for it because I'm like that. I am that kind of guy. This, my friends, is a conversation between young Shane Bush, T. Shane Bush, and young Todd Conklin, friends for a long, long time. In fact, if you don't know the history of Shane and I, we used to teach human performance class together, kind of a a two-man teaching job, uh, with a guy named Earl Carnes, the great Earl Carnes, and we'd teach it all over the country, and we taught it for years. And it was very fun. We had a very, very good time. Actually, a huge time. It was really a, it was a great time. And we would hang out and teach the class and then travel someplace else and teach the class. And, we, and I bet you that was, I mean, I haven't really put a date on that, but I bet you that was 15, maybe more, maybe just 18 years ago, back when, you know, we were just babies. My favorite Shane Bush story, I don't know if I've ever told this to you, but we were staying in a motel, not a hotel, but a motel. You know the difference, right? The hotel, the door enters into a hallway. The motel, the door enters into the parking lot. And we were in a motel. It was fine. I mean, I was, you know, it wasn't swanky your pants, but it was okay. I, did, I didn't seem to bother it too much. But I got up. We were supposed to be to go teach class. And, you know, I'm not, I don't need a lot of time before class to set up. Shane, on the other hand, often does. So we were supposed to meet each other at 7.30 and then drive over to the place. It was right across the street, so it was no big deal. Get through security, and then we are going to teach a class at 8. And at 7.30, I roll – knowing me, it's probably 7.31 a.m. I roll out of the, the motel. I open the door into the parking lot because the car that we had was parked – was parked right between our two rooms, and the car was gone. And I thought, oh, great. He left me, which secretly – don't tell Shane this, but secretly – that would be my dream because I'd just go back in and take a nap. I mean, I already had it planned. It wasn't going to hurt my feelings or anything. But I thought it was kind of odd that he would leave. He's not that kind of guy. I mean, he's not a he's not a leave you and make you suffer kind of guy. And pretty soon, maybe seconds after I opened the door, he comes pulling up. And he was really animated. He wasn't angry. He was just animated. And he said he had to drive down to Walmart and buy a hairdryer. Because he can't believe this motel. It's the first motel he's ever been to that didn't have a hairdryer. And I said, oh, Shane, I bet it's the first hotel you haven't ever been to that didn't have a hairdryer. But most motels probably don't have a hairdryer. Because if you're in a motel, you just roll the window down, stick your head out, and drive out of the motel parking lot. Voila, it's dry. But nonetheless, he got a hairdryer, and then all things exciting happened and we taught the class, and it was great, and I'm sure it had a happy ending. And lives were changed, and grown man cried. So that's the end of that that training story. So this uh, <laughs> this interview is kind of interesting 
because I thought my recorder was screwing up. You'll, I think I left that in even. Um, but it wasn't my recorder. It was my headphones were screwing up. So I, it's, it sounded like when it was recording, it was it was distorted at the top ends. And so that, that's what the word clipping out means. But in fact, that wasn't the problem. The problem was my headphones were having a hard time managing the energy coming from the small digital recorder to my headphones. But nonetheless, uh, you know, those are details that hardly matter. It's a not too bad of a recording. It's a little loud because we're in an airport lounge. Now, this next part's going to sound braggy. I don't mean to sound braggy, but we were in Bangkok um, in the Thai Airways Executive Lounge. Oh, yeah, we're that fancy. We're fancy pants people. And we got in there because I am a Star Alliance Gold or whatever that is. So I can go in and I can bring one person with me, but we were three people because Peggy was traveling with us. So it was myself, Shane, and then Shane's wife, Peggy. And so we had to stand at the door until the next business person came who looked very, very business person-ish. You know, you could tell from a million miles. And then I went up and very carefully asked this business person uh, if they would allow one of us to get in on their guest so each of us could bring in a guest. And that's how it happened. And we all got in and it was great. And the person was glad to do it. And uh, and everything was perfect. So we're sitting in there, and we got a lot of time to kill because uh, some people like to go to airports early, and others don't like to go to airports early. And so the people who like to go to airports early really drive the people who don't like to air- go to airports early crazy. And uh, and so we were there way earlier. Like I don't know if I've ever been that early for a flight. So we had a lot of time to kill, and I said, well, Shane, why don't we do a podcast? Because we'd been having this conversation about the rejuvenation of – organizations who started the safety differently journey. And then for some reason, because safety kind of ebbs and flows like this, for some reason, they got really pretty good at understanding how humans perform in the workplace, but due to management change or budget constraints or just sort of a cultural intervention of some type, they kind of fell back into the old ways. And so that was a really interesting conversation. I mean, actually, I think you'll find this conversation interesting uh, to be a part of as you listen to it while you're driving down the road. Because Shane really talks a lot about this idea of taking companies that once were quite good at this and helping them regain, restore is the word I like to use, restore their ability to be good again and how much fun it is and how much the people in the organization remember the time when it wasn't all blame and punishment, the time when we actually were focusing on learning and improving, and when the organization got better, or gets better. Uh, sorry, English is hard to speak, but I spoke Thai earlier, so you should give me some points for that. This was a great conversation in a really great place on a really great trip, and I'm so pleased to invite you to be a part of it. So sit back and relax. This is Shane and myself chatting, and you'll hear, you'll hear the chatting going on about the rejuvenization of an organization towards the new view of safety or the new view of reliability. Here it goes. Without any further ado, that's French. Here's the podcast. What were we talking about exactly? The rejuvenation of human performance for companies. So after you've done it, you've you've gotten all the benefit of the first hit. The first hit, right. Right. And it, it kind of peaked out, and people using the tools, and 
And for whatever reason, like anything, it's got a bell curve to it, so the interest slowly wanes. And other things start taking its place, whether it's new safety programs or whatever. But it's not that it's gone away. It's just that the... Um, I've gone into companies recently that I was at 10 years ago doing similar courses I did 10 years ago and them acting like it's almost new again as far as the information for a couple of reasons. One of them, it's been 10 years. The other one is we got a whole new generation of leaders that are coming in, and I'll talk specifically about DOE for a few minutes, but within the DOE uh, world, in fact, I'm seeing a lot of the traditional military leaders that we hired um, are actually now retiring and leaving and now you've got uh, the millennials in some cases that are getting old enough to take over really? they've got a whole different perspective but um, just just the Idaho National Lab is an example with uh, Dr. Peters being the lab director um, we went from a very um, the previous director being retired military and uh, of course what you know, he brings as leadership is different than uh, what we're seeing as far as leadership in the labs today, which is more of a non-military approach. So whether driven by DOE or the local contractor, we're finding kind of a rejuvenation or uh, uh, an additional interest. We're calling it, in some cases, a booster shot. We're giving it, them a booster shot. So rather than going back and starting from square one, meaning that you follow those eight stamps, getting senior management buy-in, and then how you're going to organize this and all that, well, they've already done that, and so they they can typically tell you what human performance is, even quote a tool or two. Um, but again, it's kind of in a lull. So we decided on four things that we have uh, focused on as part of our rejuvenation. And it doesn't matter whether, what, by the way, whether you're an operator in the field, whether you're a uh, lab manager, or whether you're in HR or in finance. These four things seem to really click with everybody. Um, so the four things that we focus on is after we have kind of done a presentation and and uh, uh, kind of covered the basics again, just get, reminding them. Get them all wound up get them and wound excited. Up. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because they do all over, all over again. All of a sudden it's like they haven't heard it for so long that that they're kind of excited and, and remember, man, we, we really kind of dropped the ball here. But the four things that we focused on is uh, knowledge. What's What's the level of knowledge they should have? And it's different for everybody. And, and there's no driven criteria of what you have to have. It's, it's a team effort. We come in and help them. So what knowledge should they have? What tools should they be expected to use? A lot of companies, I think one of the mistakes they make is they say, we're going to pick these five tools. We're going to pick these three tools. But that's like trying to make everybody wear the same shoe. It ain't going to work. Yeah, teaching tools is really dumb. I mean, it's a mistake everybody makes, but it's really dumb. And and the reason it's dumb is because some of them, uh, it, it doesn't fit. But for others, you have to build it into the system and process and them not even knowing they're using a tool, so to speak. Uh, like I said, make processes resilient. But they do have to have some level of knowledge and some level of what are the tools. What, 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 are, what are you talking about when you say, I need to do a peer check or an independent verification or... Uh, but it's all graded approach. And then the third thing we talk about is how are you going to integrate it? Now, honestly, the integration is, varies from potential outcome to meaning that if you wanted to proceduralize it, you, you really need to think about is that the right way to use this tool? Or is do you do a grassroots effort, grass, uh, effort meaning that you get a few people using it, 
and you get results, and then you spread the the you know into the other labs, and they start using it. Um, so that's the third one. I'll come back on these, but again, you got the knowledge, you got the HBI tool uses, how you can integrate it, and then the fourth thing that will consistently be an issue, although getting better, is the just culture. So so. How do you recreate or enhance uh, the just culture such? Because it's still an issue. I'm what, do you, what do you mean when you say just culture? Just I mean, culture, I, honestly. I think it's kind of it's it's the, getting. The more I mature with just culture, I've honestly come up with my own definition of being a balance between accountability and um, uh, a non-punitive work area. In other words, you've created a culture such that people feel accountable for what they do, but not to the point where there's fear in making errors and mistakes, that they'll actually come and be responsible uh, for their actions, knowing that, okay, I might have to help fix it, I might have to talk about it at a safety meeting, but it's not punitive. So to me, yeah, the just culture thing is such a... There's such a variety of interpretations. I mean, what's just to you, Todd, could be totally unjust to me. It's a personal thing as to whether or not I believe that we have a just culture. In fact, our surveys are showing that. The, we have um, behavioral surveys, and, and uh, every company does. They send out a survey, you know, do you feel it's fair here? Do you feel like you're being treated? Are you getting a chance to excel? And when we get to those questions are, do you, do you feel it's fair and you're treated correctly? It's just all over the board. It, it's quite often driven by their immediate manager as to how they feel about it. Uh, n- not necessarily at the company level, although it can start there, uh, but it's actually driven by the local level. So when we talk about just culture, the way we measure it is, are people willing to come and talk about errors and mistakes that if they... Uh, and I'm I'm talking about situations where they could have easily hit it and we could have easily not known about it. To me, that's when you're maturing to the point where uh, you can actually uh, feel comfortable that you're getting more data than normal as far as the process. Those are the four. So the four things for the rejuvenation part is what's the basic knowledge you think they need to have? Not not sitting through another one-day class, not, you know, memorizing the principles, but what's the basic knowledge that they need to have what are the tools associated with their jobs? What, what are the three or four tools or five or whatever, depending on the tasks? And then again, how are you going to integrate that? Is it just an expectation? Is it, is it something you talk about in the pre-job? Or is it actually in a procedure, depending on the outcome? And then the fourth one is, what are we doing as a just culture to ensure those three, first three will work? And I'm finding that, in fact... Uh, again, at the Idaho National Lab, I sat down with DOE, and one of the things we agreed on is to change the critique process. Yeah. Hugely help because now... Yeah, of course. That's the most important thing you can do, I think. Well, it is, and we're piloting an approach where the manager or supervisor, if we have... uh, Again, we're going to call them unwanted outcomes because it could be anything. But if we have an unwanted outcome... um, We are piloting right now that the initial interview is done by either a critique... Uh, leader, which we'll, we, we're changing the name to that. In fact, l- let me back up one step real quickly. We're combining our cause analysts and critique leaders into one call, same yeah, person. That's good. That way they can take it cradle to grade. They're the ones that run the critique. And, and, and in fact, let me back up one more step. They we're getting actually, way back now. We're yeah, way back. To the basics. Yeah. <laughs> no, really, on, on a serious note, 
they would be the ones that would interview the employee and it would be one-on-one. And then what we traditionally call critiques, they would call it a management overview, whatever you want to call it. I mean, there's different terms. Uh, And DOE agreed because DOE is only mandating that they be present when you're updating management on an issue or concern. Now, we're piloting it, so we'll see how it goes. They originally wanted to attend those initial meetings, and I said, well, that's kind of defeating our purpose for what we're trying to do. And then we would go into these other meetings and, and lay it out. But the biggest thing we're seeing as an improvement is the investigation process changing from fact-based, traditional, Joe Friday stuff. Blame and punish. Blame and punish to what's the context, what's the context. And the nicest thing about this rejuvenation we've got going on is my senior management has agreed to 30 minutes of continuing education on the subject from their perspective every month for the foreseen future. So I've covered the basics. I've covered, for example, performance modes. When they are... When, when a manager comes in to see before senior manager, we had a, a fire at one of our incidents. Well, now what I'm hearing them ask them is not just what were the facts. The actual senior management is asking two questions. Give me the context, and the next step is going to be, and what performance mode do you think they were in? Because just that little bit of knowledge lets senior management know, are they handling it? Yeah. At, at least getting it close. Help because, them understand what to do. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Because then they know the questions to ask. Because if they come back and say, well, we believe they were in ruler knowledge, but we're sending them all back to training, so that's all right. Well, i got additional questions to ask. Or if they're in skill-based, especially, and I'm sending them all back to training. That's dumb. That's dumb. Why are you doing that? So, anyway, it's it, it, there, there seems to be kind of a rejuvenation across the, the DOE complex related to that. I like this idea of... It's knowledge, application, integration, just. Keep it simple. Yeah. I mean, that's really and, good. And graded approach. Yeah. And maybe different for lab people on how you do that oh, yeah. than operations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, totally for sure. Why is it, do you think, it ebbs and flows? Is it is it because the strong rules are so strong that people go back to the old way or because it becomes normalized or because blame is really a natural tendency? I mean... You know, because it really and, does and ebb and flow. You're it right. It does ebb and flow, and and everything you mentioned, yes, 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 <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and that's the problem, right? You'd love to think that uh, everybody is following the same ebbs and flows, but they're not. You, something as simple as changing a manager. In fact, honestly, uh, at the INL, it kind of ini- the the rejuvenation. It kind of initiated from a letter from our DOE leader that said, "Hey." I just am not seeing HPI being utilized here to the level it should be or words to that effect. Well, that all of a sudden started a whole new interest and a whole new gym, uh, rejuvenation. But it hit, the timing was perfect because we had a new lab manager and, and he was very interested in human performance. So it could be any of those things. It could be the fact, even if you had the same management, same people, as you and I both know, humans eventually, unless you've got something to cause you to keep an interest in it, you're, you're, you're going to wane. And sometimes it's a laziness. Usually it's just the simple fact that you've become so used to it that uh, it, it, it's become a part of the process. But when it becomes a part of the process without a constant attention to it, it deteriorates. And I would add two things to that. The third thing I would add is that it's just cognitive loading. It's just you got a lot going got on lot in your going. head. Yep. And then the fourth thing, and it's probably the most powerful, is that stuff normally doesn't fail. Right. So because right. stuff's normally stable and because they don't normally have these unwanted outcomes. Well, Todd, think think about 
90% of the time when you and I get called in, with the exception of keynotes and stuff, when we called it, get called into business, it's as a result of what? An accident. An accident. An event. Yeah. And so... Now, it's, keynotes, they just want us to dance, monkey. <laughs> dance, monkey. Make us laugh, monkey man. Hey, big That's man, true. make us yeah. laugh. <laughs> but, you know, and if you, do, and if you do the keynote right, hopefully you're part of one of those four, rejuvenation, right? Yeah. It's, it's kind of getting the interest again, because I've done keynotes where companies have, as a result, said, gosh, it's been so long since we've had anybody really you know, get into the nuts and bolts. But... Why do you think the principles are drifting? I, I told you this earlier. Right. So Shane and I are in Bangkok, in case you're wondering what all these noises are, uh, which was actually quite a... We were here for work, of course. Yes, nothing, absolutely. Nothing, nothing but, bad nothing or immoral work, happened. Not at all. We evaluated the massage parlors, and it's exactly what we... Uh, Expected. Yep, yep. Everything was everything was exactly Every, every what, time an operator touched yes. Shane, what was supposed to happen, happened. Now, what, why do you think people have drifted? I'm really seeing people drifting away from the principles. In fact, I, I was at a, a human performance class taught by somebody else, and they didn't even and they didn't even talk about the principles. You know, I mean, they didn't even bring it up. No. In fact, I, I think, as you mentioned, we as human beings are always wanting new and shiny, new and shiny, new and shiny, new and shiny. And so, um, and, and I'm kind of the opposite. I'm kind of... Old and dull. Uh, yeah, I'm nuts and bolts, old and dull. I, I, when I go into a company, if they truly have the basics down, then I'm ready for the new stuff. I'm ready to go in. But what I'm finding is they put up a lot of posters and a lot of people went through training class, but they're still not doing the basics. I'm not, I'm not hearing the tools being used in the field. I'm not seeing the Christianing attitude. I'm not seeing... And so... I think what people do is, yeah, we heard about the principles or we heard about the, the tools, but that was 10 years ago. And, and I'm like, okay, truth is truth. It, it, if it was true back then, now if you've mastered it, I'm not talking about that. If you really feel like you've mastered it and you've got your return on investment and you're ready to move to the next level of, uh, you know, cognitive thinking or reliability, or high reliability organizations yeah. or great, go, go there. But honestly... I think it's just natural for the human being to want something new, something new, something new. Well, the best way to do something new is to take something you know and tweak it. And so I've gone into companies who slowly tweaked their human performance to where I didn't even recognize it as being human performance. I mean, it, it wasn't that it was bad stuff, but they're calling it human performance yet. Um, it, it's got titles and stuff on their slides that I don't even recognize as a human performance subject matter, but... So I think you're right. I really think about this a lot because I think we probably haven't done a good job in explaining the role the principles have. That those are sort of five distinct truths. They're always present. They're always real. And they color everything. Yeah. And I think I think what happens is we we thought about these principles a long, long time. And so it's sort of naturally ingrained into the way we think. In fact, my fundamentals course, I teach it by the – I mean, I divide yeah. it up by the five yeah. principles. That's how, that's how I teach it. Um, but I think as we drift away – so I think one problem is is that error management is really attractive. Uh -huh. It's really wrong, uh -huh. but it's really attractive. The belief that somehow if we just manage error – which is really kind of an elaborate way to say we need to fix the worker. 
right, you right, know, then, right. Then, then we'll be better. And so I think they, they see they see that as a potential, um, it's, a, it's a shiny object. It's something we can do, something yeah. we can fix. And the need to have something to do, that's what makes people teach tools without context. You know, teach, teach, teaching tools without a problem to solve is just a waste it's of just time. Words. You might as well just be breathing. Right, right. But they want they want to do something. Now, the learning teams. I see companies jump on the learning teams with both feet, and that's good. But it's just a tool. I mean, yeah. it's, it's not a human performance. Yeah. And human performance is really more of that. Is that it's it's those five principles becoming beliefs. Yeah, it's it, it's those five principles which are philosophy, but yet integrated into the system and the process. And I think that integration part's the hardest part. Yeah. Well, that's why I like what you're saying about changing critiques. Because one of the things we've done is we've done a really good job teaching people human performance, but then we put them back into an investigation that's really old school, really right. linear, right. super, super fact-based. In fact, it, it, it moves away from context. We can't talk about that because that's not a fact. Right, right. You know, the workers were in a hurry. Well, you don't know that. You can't yeah. prove that. Well, no, because every worker's in a hurry all the time. So, yeah, they're in a hurry. <laughs> and to clarify... When, when, when we do the contextual type interviews, we do go out and verify. I mean, we don't take the worker's word for it that the tool wasn't working, for example. We go out and look at the tool and ask people, is this really the case? Because when they do factual accuracy, they, they expect you to have done your homework. So the one thing that yeah, but I've, human, to, I've never found anything to not be a fact. It I mean, hasn't. It's, it's always real. Very seldom have I had a worker. Now, I have had, I caught a character. I've had workers tell me things I couldn't verify, but I don't think they were lying to me. Yeah. I just couldn't verify yeah. them. So I'm really careful how I bring that up to management because if, if, if I can't verify it, then what are they going to do with that? Right? What, what if a guy comes in drunk and he's got a baby <laughs> and he sticks the baby's arm in a pinch point? What are you going to do with that guy? Oh, sorry. I'm going to call in the HR yeah. <laughs> and say, what went wrong with your process? Yeah. Sorry, we, we were talking earlier about extreme cases in classes. <laughs> So, but, uh, but that idea of, of tweaking the way the organization learns, yeah, it goes to knowledge, it goes to application, it goes to integration, and it's absolutely. I actually think just justice, workplace justice, yeah. just work culture, is more about learning and having context-rich understanding than it is about blame and punishment. Because once you understand, oh, the, once you understand the context, you can't really. I mean, it's. It's, it's almost like well, you don't blame you the worker it, because you can't deny it because you realize oh my, well, the worker. I mean, I would have done this. Could have been thing. me. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and here's one lessons learned that after doing this for all these years, that if I could share, and I'm sure a lot of people in our positions have their own, but if there's one lessons learned, it's this that too many times, and I'm guilty of this, come into companies, give them one great big dose of human performance, and then that's it for the next five years. And I have found, like anything, you can't absorb it all. It, right. uh, so if you're going to implement human performance, whether it's a rejuvenation or whether it's initial, little small doses. Get, get them to get these little small doses through pre-job briefings, through safety shares, through integration to the um, processes such as uh, investigation. But, and then, and again, getting my senior management to commit to me 30 minutes every yeah, month. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, that's my very gosh. Cool. It how, was how the greatest you, thing. How are you strategizing? I mean, what, what have you kind of got a plan for Absolutely. The, and I, how do you do it in 30 minutes? I can't well, say my name in 30 minutes. And you know me. I, I can't know, even do an introduction in 30 minutes. You're Blabzilla. Yeah. 
Uh, I honestly had to really think about that. Now, one thing I did get them to commit to was a an initial half day to kind of rejuvenate the basics. Right. But then I had to pick topics, and I picked the topics that were relative to the processes that we're in the middle of changing. So, for example, we're in the middle of changing the investigation process. So I talked about performance modes, and I talked about latent conditions. and I, But it's just little shots, and they get it. In fact, I took a – this was the best example ever – I took a traditional critique write-up, which was about a paragraph, and I, after I'd gone through air precursors and, and performance modes, just, and I handed it to him. Now, this is senior management, C-suite, and I said, what performance mode was this worker in, do you think? Nice. They said, we have no idea. Yeah, nice. I, and then I said, here's the write-up we did, and I gave them the contextual write-up to it. They named the uh, performance mode. They named the air precursors, and they even got to the point of talking about what would be a, uh, a potential corrective action that would be a lot more appropriate than the big three, right? Training and yeah. And and, and I think that's how you do it: is you look at what are you trying to improve at the moment, educate them right along with about a month ahead of it, keep them keep them abreast of what's coming, so when the changes hit. They're not asking a bunch of questions. They know exactly why we changed the critique process. That's good. I mean, that's. I think that's meaningful. That, that makes a difference. That makes a huge difference. So what's next? So what's next is that continuous education. And uh, uh, I think because of the millennials, you've got to go electronic. You've got to get an app. You've got to get a human performance app or whatever so that you can keep the interest do, there. Do apps work? Well, I don't know. I honestly have not created one nor they, used they one. They strike me as kind of goofy, the ones I've seen. And I haven't even got that far, Todd, myself. Um, but what I'm finding is uh, a company I've done a lot of work for that you actually do work for now, a paper company. They've got tablets that, that have built-in, just-in-time training. Uh, and that's where I think, again, and we talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That the future of this is... How do we get this just-in-time training? So our big movement at the INL now, and this isn't just Shane Bush. There's a number of people involved. We are going away from paper-type procedures into process flow procedures. And to the point where we have the little uh, square, I can't remember what you call them, but you can take a snap picture of it. QR or something? QR code? QR code. QR code, Yeah. Yeah. And if, for example, it's requiring you to determine what level of security you're about to do as far as the document, and you've forgotten because it was six yeah. months since you took the CBT, you take a quick a picture of it and it reminds you this is what PIE, uh, personal, PII, personal information, this is what UI or SUI. But, and again, I think, I, I apologize to the audience because we're talking so much about DOE, but that's just because I'm helping rejuvenate a lot of theirs. But it's the same in private industry. You, you've got the same thing going on there where I'm going back to some of the same companies that I started with 10 years ago for the same reasons, change in management, change in culture, rejuvenation. That's great. So what was the highlight of Bangkok? Highlight of Bangkok. Oh, my gosh. One going night. with I'll, Todd I'll, I'll play a little bit of that anywhere. song. <laughs> one night in Bangkok. Yeah, one night in Bangkok made us all humble last night. No, it is. Here's If you've not been to Bangkok, you have to go to Bangkok. It's, first of all, the people are the kindest people. I've never had so many people um, treat me so kindly from the airport to the taxi to the hotel. And it is fairly inexpensive for yeah. the massages we did, yeah, yeah. doing the tours of the castle. And the other thing I highly suggest, which was Todd's idea, 
hire a personal tour guide. It's cheap. For $100, $100, was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the whole day, we had someone take us to the Grand Palace. We had someone take us to the world's largest open market. To So Bangkok, we, we, what you see on TV and stuff, we didn't make it into that part of town. but <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. <laughs> but it was absolutely a great time here. And Todd wrote Mover's book, and we studied more stuff. Yeah, we had a good time. So I must admit, it was really, really fun to take them to Bangkok and hang out. We really, I've been there many, many times, but it was fun to see the world through their fresh eyes because Bangkok is pretty different than Idaho. I don't know if you've ever looked at the chart, but if there's a chart someplace, uh, Bangkok would be on one end and Idaho would be on the other. I'm quite certain of that. But we had a great time and poked around and just had a ball and that was pretty valuable. And we're able to squeeze in a podcast out of this deal. So that's pretty handy as well. So that's the cast for today. I hope you enjoy it immensely. That's always my goal. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. I get my kids above the waistline, sunshine.